bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. And I'm Erica. And today we are doing another episode in our series of women of color on the campaign trail for election 44. And today we are joined by Adina Young, a Green Party candidate for the Skeena Bulkley Valley, which is a huge riding in northwestern BC that spans a number of Indigenous territories, including Wet'suwet'en. Adina is a member of the Haida Nation and was born and raised in her homeland on the Haida Gwaii. She was hired by the Council of the Haida Nation 10 years ago as staff support for the Heritage and Natural Resources Department. From 2016 to 2018, she sat on the Old Masset Village Council, one of two village councils on the Haida Gwaii, as a council member for a two-year term. And in 2019, she was acclaimed to the position of school board trustee with School District 50 on the Haida Gwaii. And she ran again in the 2019 by-election for the Old Masset Village Council and was successful. So Adina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And so, you know, just to kick things off, um, we really want to get a sense of who you are and what your riding is like and what that experience has been like for you. So this is your first time running for kind of formal quote-unquote formal elected office is that right that's right and so what made you decide to do that it's a really big undertaking (laughs) it is a big undertaking uh leaps and bounds jump in with two feet sink or swim go big or go home uh i feel like the the local politics and the experience that i've had with it um it's a big, that's a big undertaking as well. And I found that when we run in local politics, we're so, we have so much passion. I think any representative has so much passion and why, why they're running and why they want to be in those seats. And as a, as an Indigenous woman, as a Haida citizen, and as a registered Indian, um, I felt like, I feel like politics is something that, uh, I wouldn't want to um, compete against with with my own people, with the own, with our own band council, with our own Haida Nation. Um, I feel like we we are handed, you know, through the band system, we're handed a certain amount of money, and it's up to the band council to determine how it's used, what is needed within our community, and uh, you know, we're we're never adequately funded for the things that we need. And, uh, you know, it was hard for me to, to share those differences at our local table. And, you know, I need to follow, follow the source. And if we're being funded by the federal uh, government, that, that is a place for me to be able to express, you know, the needs and to maybe not necessarily, I think fighting is a strong word, but that, uh, definitely be a strong voice in in the House of Commons uh, to help not only Indigenous communities, but people who are affected around me as well. And so what what prompted you to even run for local office? Seeing people that need help. Uh, Old Massive Village Council, um, our reserve, we are 
you know, dealing with the housing shortage, we, there's a lot of abandoned homes in our, on our reserve. Uh, there's, I ran for a municipal uh, government, municipal by-election here for the village of Masset. And I ran for the same reason. There's a shortage of homes here. Um, Masset is a community where uh, we have a lot of small businesses and a lot of it was um, negatively impacted by COVID and people not being able to travel, people being restricted uh, from coming to Haida Gwaii. Like I was also part of a people's group here on Haida Gwaii called Onle Gujalang where we, um, you know, our three priorities were uh, inherent right to occupy our land, um, food security and safety, public safety, keeping Haida Gwaii closed uh, during the pandemic to make sure we're protecting our uh, traditional knowledge holders and, and language speakers who are, who are all elderly. Yeah, so locally and being able to take the values and the passions that I have to help people around me to advocate. Um, I, I also currently sit as an interim chair for the Nislane Healing House Society. They are our, they used to be the health committee under the ban jurisdiction. And during my time on ban council, we passed the ban council resolution for the health committee to become its own society. Uh, so the health, our health portfolio is no longer under ban jurisdiction. It's, it's under um, provincial legislation through the Societies Act. And I'm also a director for Haida Child and Family Services. Uh, we're coming up to our annual general meeting for, for that society and I will be transitioning out of that position and uh, an elected council member will be replacing my seat. Seeing the needs and the asks of all the positions that I've held and uh, really wanting to make the changes in the system that will support and prom uh, support and expand programs that are existing. So looking at the, the geography of your riding, you know, it encompasses Haida Gwaii, but then it also encompasses a very large part of Northwestern BC, which includes um, Terrace, Prince Rupert, Smithers, um, Burns Lake. And so what is it like being a candidate for such a geographically large riding when you yourself are located uh, on Haida Gwaii, which is much more isolated? It's been a challenge for the campaign piece, uh, definitely. Uh, but I think for the most part, being able to use the technology that we have and meet people virtually and, uh, you know, to be creative in, in how we approach things is, is an opportunity. Um, some of the things that have been hard, I think, for my campaign is, is not traveling. Um, I've committed to not travel for my campaign and do things virtually. 
um, due to, you know, the COVID restrictions and, and how being a spokesperson for Anle Gujalang and being a, you know, a former counselor with the band council, I just felt like all the work that we put in and everything that we stood for in shutting down Haida Gwaii and protecting our elders, the immune compromised uh, community members and the safety of Haida Gwaii, I just felt like it was, it goes against my morals of that safety that we were pushing so hard for. It just didn't make any sense for me to go. And, you know, we're, although an election is, <laughs> it's essential at this time because it was called, uh, oh. I just don't feel like it's worth the compromise of putting myself at risk of, of catching the, the virus. How has the vaccine rollout been in Haida Gwaii? It's been really good. I, I don't have the exact numbers right now on how many people were vaccinated, um, but there was a shipment of over 200 vaccines that had to get used overnight because there were, I think, refrigerator problems or cooler problems when, when they came. And, uh, you know, anybody who was on a waiting list to go, they, you know, Northern Health, um, or sorry, the Northern Haida Gwaii Hospital put a, a notice out on social media and some of their staff shared their post that said we have over 200 vaccines that are gonna go bad if we don't use them within this amount of time. And without any hesitation, the people who wanted the vaccine just showed up and we ended up not uh, wasting any of those vaccines. So it's been pretty successful. Amazing. So what are some of the issues that you wanted to address um, pre-pandemic and how have those issues changed or been affected by the pandemic? So like, for example, I mean, you know, you talked about um, food security, for example. How has mm -hmm. food insecurity changed during the pandemic in your riding? It, uh, food security, uh, the food supply here in the local grocery stores has been, um, it seems like we always have a shortage of groceries in, in our local, like here in Masset, we have uh, Delmas Co-op of the Cooperative Association. It seems like we are always short on, you know, like milk and dairy, fruits and vegetables uh, during the summer season when the fishing lodges are open. And the fishing lodges are, because they're buildings on, on land, they're businesses within the province, they are provincial jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. Their business is uh, fishing, which then crosses over to federal jurisdiction through DFO. Uh, they're walking hand in hand, uh, and it's uh, our community goes through shortages in the groceries when those lodges are open. And who's coming on, like, for the to those lodges? Uh, like, are they people, indigenous people, or are they people from the mainland, like white people, like people from 
people who are settlers, uh, the rich, the rich are coming on holiday. Americans, Americans and Albertans, uh, I feel like are, are a big population of the, the fishing lodges. I did work, I worked at West Coast Fishing Club, I think 12 years ago. I was out there as a chambermaid. Uh, my brother worked out there as well. And uh, the clientele are, you know, they have their ways. And I was, I was upset when I had seen um, the treatment that my brother had. He was, he was out. Uh, one of the hospitality pieces that they do is they come out to, they come out to the helicopter and they extend their hand to help the clients off the helicopter and bring them away from the helicopter. And, you know, there were a few times where some of the guests would reach their hand out and then they would be so close to touching my brother and then they would pull their hand away because his skin was brown. And, you know, that broke my heart. Um, I don't think uh, it didn't bother my brother much. He was, you know, whatever, it's a job and he, he is accepting of people, however they are. And I am too, but it, it, you know, it's just hard to, to know that racism is so alive and well. And bold now. I find mm -hmm. it, people are very bold with it. Mm -hmm. And that's disturbing. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I hear you. And that story about your brother, I, I would break my heart too. Seriously. Um, so there's uh, the other thing with the food security and how we're impacted with, we have small community members have small boats that they go out fishing on in the summertime. They go out as soon as they're ready. If there's a break in the weather and their boat is ready, they'll go out, they'll catch fish for their family they'll catch fish for their own home. But in the fishing season time, when the lodges open, the guests and, you know, the guests feel like our community members are impeding on their pleasure fishing trip. Like we are, they, you know, it, see, it seems that we are in their way. Uh -huh. And right. there, are, there are, you know, uh, some of the fishers that go out are my uncles and they're quiet, they're timid, they'll do their business, they'll do whatever they have to do. Um, and they'll share stories here and there about what their fishing day was like and some of the encounters that they had, but they won't go public about it. They'll sit quietly, they'll say, I got my fish, I'm okay, I'm safe, I was on the water. They were doing everything that they love to do and it's, you know, something comes up and they don't, they don't wanna make, too big of a deal like I almost feel like that comes I don't know what it comes just their nature their or their nature I mean and so I understand that by the way mm -hmm. um that's quite common from like my parents generation like you just go in do your work and it's 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 and just be quiet and say nothing mm -hmm. apparently I missed that lesson so mm -hmm. same <laughs> <laughs> I know. My I was like, nah. Was like, why do you have to rock the boat? <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, nah, <laughs> you all can stay quiet. I don't know why we're staying quiet. <laughs> like, I don't suffer in silence. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, and so, 
you know, if with all of these um, fishing lodges getting being full or busy in fishing season, like how much does your economy rely on that quote unquote tourism? The fishing lodges uh, don't directly bring a lot of economy into our community. Mm. Uh, other than getting the groceries from the grocery stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the lodges get, um, some of the lodges even get their bulk shipping orders from down south. Like sometimes their their shipment comes from, comes up on lodges or sorry, not lodges, barges. So, you know, as far as the guests coming into, into the community and contributing to our economy that way, they don't. There might be a little bit of a stipend that comes into the airport to the municipality, but as far as uh, Indigenous governance goes here uh, with the band council, um, it's not a lot. There's there's nothing that comes directly from them to the band council. That's That's really interesting. Yeah, you're right, Erin. That is really interesting. So and not in a good way. Yeah, yeah. The settlers <laughs> continuing to just take, take. That's all it sounds like to me. It's just settlers taking more and more and infringing more and more and more. And I feel like that's been the history of this country, right? Like, it's yeah. it's just it's just you know all these words are being thrown around reconciliation and blah 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 blah. And the fact of the matter is that the structures and systems and, 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 and players in those, they don't want anything to change. They get to take without compensating yeah, at all. And not like that's better. I'm not saying that's better, but yeah, they just disturbing. take. Yeah, the other disturbing piece of information that doesn't sit well with me is that the amount of fish that the clients take even though they are limited to the amount that they're allowed to catch and take home the combination of all the fishing lodges here on Haida Gwaii they export more fish out of here than a commercial fisherman is allocated really wow Mm -hmm. so what's DFO saying about that (laughs) (laughs) uh good question (laughs) because now I have questions (laughs) like seriously Mm -hmm. because uh you know i mean but then the federal government has been instrumental in in participating in this sort of white supremacist structure so they're they're the caretakers of it so nobody Mm. should be surprised really but still yeah you know the 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 silver lining to this i think um, and there's, I know Old Mass at Band Council have, uh, I think they rescinded their motion to sign on to the agreement, but there is opportunity for them to jump back on board again. Um, but um, there's a fisheries resources reconciliation agreement, it's called, has been signed with Coastal First Nations Great Bear Initiative. Can you tell uh, us about it? where I was a form, you know, a Coastal First Nations Great Bear Initiative. I was, I'm a former director for, for that table as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there are several indigenous communities that sit on that board. And uh, this, this fisheries agreement is, is the first of its kind. 
And what, what um, is it? What does it do? What, what is it supposed to fix? Um, I think it is supposed to fix the relationship between Indigenous communities and DFO. Okay. And how, what's, the, um, what's the initiative? The initiative is to help Indigenous communities' um, ability to go out and catch the fish and the food supply that it, um, most Indigenous communities along the coast rely on, the fish, the crabs the halibut. It's an opportunity for commercial fishermen, um, indigenous commercial fishermen to, you know, apply for loans to, to get their own boats. We used to have a big fishing fleet. We used to have, here on Haida Gwaii, we used to have a big fishing fleet. We used to have boat makers. We used to have people go out on boats all the time on their own. Um, it's an opportunity for indigenous communities to um, make changes on what, uh, fishing management looks like, I think. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. On the other hand, you know, there are individuals who feel like this agreement is leaning towards selling off our inherent rights. Uh, so there are benefits there. I feel like there are benefits to it, but there are things that go against what it is to be Indigenous community, uh, sort of interferes with um, our cultural ways, I think. I, I think it's a, my interpretation of it is, is an interesting way to have our Indigenous rights implemented into a colonial structure where we have to set up our own policing for our own people. And policing right. indigenous communities have never gone well, have never gone over well in any situation. Yeah, so there's a lot. There's a lot to that agreement. There's definitely benefits in there and there are definitely concerns that need to be addressed. And there definitely needs to be a space in there for indigenous communities if they're gonna manage their fisheries. There needs to be a place in there for Indigenous community members to have authority with settlers and recreational fishers to to help with the management. Uh -huh. okay. You know, we, we culturally, uh, before colonialism, before governance structure, I think, you know, our, our law, our Haida law was to only take what you need. Uh -huh. And then, you know, nature would take care of itself. But now the need for our natural resources, the fish, the forest, the natural gas, it's all needed by other industry. It's needed by other organizations. It's needed by, you know, it's needed by so many other moving parts of the world that are not indigenous to us. So the need that, that, uh, law of only take what you need is no longer relevant when it comes to the governance structure. So that's China. one way you're talking about how the the colonialist capitalist system is still sort of like it's still within that structure and that the agreement or the initiative is against like indigenous cultures. 
or the Haida mm-hmm. culture, let's say. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, totally get that. Um, yeah. So been, I've been trying to, you know, I've been thinking, trying to, you know, how do I translate? I mean, we want to be recognized. Indigenous communities want to be recognized. That's all we've ever wanted. There was a protest here on Haida Gwaii in the 80s, the logging down on Lyle Island. Uh, Elders and people of all ages protested the logging that was happening down there. And one of the Chinese, uh, Chinese's grandfather, one of the Chinese, said to an interview, we never wanted to stop logging. We only wanted to be included. Mm-hmm. We want to be part of managing our resources. Right. Um, so we never, you know, it's it's a it's that part that was missing all this time. And now things are changing over time, but it's not changing fast enough. I think the interesting thing of this riding and how the Canadian government are heavily reliant on natural resource extraction, logging, fishing, oil and gas. This riding is the biggest riding, I think, in, in the federal ridings, biggest land land base. Uh, and a majority majority of it is wilderness. Um, I was in a debate last night and a question came up about the logging, uh, sorry, came up about the softwood agreements with the United States. And the softwood lumber agreement, that one? Yeah, softwood, oh. like the trade agreement. Right. Yeah, that came up and, you know, our, the incumbent NDP uh, response, he had a really good response, don't get me wrong. And we did commit to a clean campaign, so I don't, I'm not meaning to sling dirt or throw things, throw them under the bus. It's a, you know, it's a matter of fact that uh, the logging industry is under provincial jurisdiction. Um, but it's also, when it comes to forestry, it's provincial jurisdiction. But when it comes to forests, uh-huh. it, becomes, it becomes federal. So... You know, another one of our Haida laws that we follow is everything depends on everything else. And when we're talking about softwood lumber agreements, um, we're also um, the logging industry. And we look at the global warming and the amount of forest fires and the amount of forests that are, um, you know, that we can log within the development areas. That... We can't keep relying on that. We can't, the trees are not going to grow fast enough for that industry to be around forever. So I think, you know, everything depends on everything else. And when we ask a simple question, it's not so simple, right? Totally. Is that why you want you ran for the Green Party? I ran for the Green Party because I feel like the Green Party um, allows me to speak more freely. Uh, I think anybody can speak freely, uh, but it's the structure of the other parties. Um, they have they have their party lines. They have their constitutions. Um, they have uh, their party makes up decisions, and then you know the the MP is no longer 
speaking for the constituents within their riding, they now become mm -hmm. a speaker for the party. That's exactly what's wrong with party politics. Yeah. Exactly that. Yeah. You're no um, longer responsible to your constituents. You're responsible to the party machine. Yeah. And the Green Party do not have whipped votes. Oh, right. Yes. So that is another thing. If there is something that is happening at the national level that doesn't accommodate the riding here in the Skeena Bulkley, I can I can oppose it yeah. uh, because the Green Party allows for that, uh, like agree to disagree type of thing. Uh, there was a question I was interested to share yesterday um, with an individual that I was talking with. Um, they they had their mindset on who they were voting for and i said that's okay that's fine i said i'm you know i'm running for the green party uh because of the reasons that i had just said to you and then there the response that i got was well one of the green party members opposed adopting undrip and I reminded them that the Green Party don't have whipped votes, that we have the individual right to oppose something if it doesn't accommodate to our riding. And an individual opposition to support, uh, an individual opposition of something is not a party value. It's an individual right that the Green Party respects. And I reminded that person that the one the one Green Party member who opposed adopting UNDRIP is also the one who walked across the floor to the Liberal Party. The Liberal Party who Boom! Had the Liberal <laughs> Party who, yeah, the Liberal Party who didn't um, agree to that. Or, well, they did. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. But, you know, the Green Party member who, um, who walked across the floor joined the Liberals. You know, those are all the different things people, we, we can pick and choose what we want to see, what we want to hear. And I look for an answer. I look for, I look for things that will support what I believe in, but I will also look for answers on the total opposite end of the spectrum, because um, when we are asking for something and we can't get everything that we want, we have to compromise something. There's always going to be a compromise. There's going to be a compromise when like negotiating is always going to compromise on both sides. So when I believe in something, I'm going to find a lot of information that support my beliefs, but I'm also going to find the same amount of information that uh, people don't agree with. I'm going to find every reason why they don't like my idea, why they don't believe in what I'm saying and address them remove the barriers it's not about fighting and um you know it's not it's not it requires a fight to be in you know to, to be in politics but i don't have to fight somebody i don't right to get your point across or to yeah or to um to really stake your position really yeah yeah i can see and i can understand and i can relate to concerns or barriers that are there it doesn't mean i have to fight it's like okay let's get to the let's get to the same playing field let's get on the same page let's figure out something that is going to work together for sure and i, I want to share a little bit of the background um and i'm quite proud i'm quite proud of it systemic systemic changes start on so many different levels 
-hmm. and uh, Taylor, our current, uh, our, the incumbent for our riding, he's NDP, uh, came to Haida Gwaii and I, I was obligated to go and see him. I've always had conversations with Taylor. I've always wanted to be informed on what's going on. I've always reached out and asked for help if I needed help with something. Um, and he's been great. Um, but he came to Haida Gwaii and I thought, hey, this is a good time for us to do a video together. Like, let's do a video and acknowledge one another. Let's wish each other well wishes on our campaign trail. Um, and when he came, he said, I think I, I would like to improvise and maybe suggest we can do a photo. So I asked him, what's your, what's the apprehension on doing a video? And he said, well, it's a competition. That's not how we, it's not normally how we do things. And I said, if I had a pitch, this is what it would be. We don't like to racialize each other, but in light of Canadian history and, and Indian residential schools coming to light the heat of the government, 215 children found at the former Indian residential school in Kamloops. You know, I'm an Indigenous woman running in federal politics. You're looking to be reelected, you know, the status quo. And both parties or all parties are committed to truth and reconciliation. And to be completely honest, people are tired of hearing about truth and reconciliation and not seeing anything tangible. Indeed. If we do a video, it's, it's something tangible. It's a visual. It's an acknowledgement of me being an Indigenous woman, something that Indigenous people have always wanted was to be acknowledged and included in, in decision-making processes. So if we do this video, you know, I would let people know how we met, that you've been doing a great job of being our representation. I wish you all the best and, you know, good luck on, good luck on the campaign trail. And he said, okay, let's do a video. So we did a video. Um, we did a one minute video. I shared it on my Facebook page. And uh, yeah, just making, making systemic changes like that. And I really wanna share, you know, um, I feel like party lines are so divisive and they don't have that, other parties don't have the room for us, uh, different party members to collaborate, to meet with one another close enough to agree on something. Uh, the Green Party, I think, as individual representatives within our ridings have all that ability to meet with Taylor, to meet with um, conservative candidate Claire, to meet with People's Party, um, to meet with um, the Christian Heritage Party. I feel like I have that ability to do it and other, par other parties are restricted by their party lines. You know, Green Party also, um, they also value participatory democracy. Mm. So it doesn't matter where you are, who you come, where, you know, where you come from or what you're doing. We value that. We value who you are as an individual. We value what party you stand for. And those are things that will be implemented in the changes that we wanna make because we know far too, like, Far too often, the blanket that we're trying to cover us all with doesn't accommodate everybody. It seems I get the sense that you 
while it's not your job, you very much want to live the idea of reconciliation. Exactly. Right? Like you, yeah. Yeah, that's the sense I get. Even Yeah, even though it's not your responsibility and it should be everyone else doing it. <laughs> I we think should all be how, living like that. That's how it happens, right? Individual changes, individual, you know, our own actions. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so if you just one last question, maybe depending on if Erica has any follow-ups after. I'm uh, just listening. I honestly am just like listening to you and I'm taking it in and I'm, I'm like, I feel, I feel blessed just because like we get to do get to meet people like you who, who can inspire us. Mm -hmm. So I'm just really excited. I'm, I'm like this. That's me leaning <laughs> forward, <you>. everybody. <laughs> Thank you. I'm like, tell us more. So that's why I'm asking you so many questions. Yeah. And yeah. digging and digging deeper because there's 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 so much grace in your answers and there's so much grace in the way that you are, you know, running your campaign that we don't see this anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I feel, I feel lucky that, you know, I get to spend this time with you and Aaron and we can actually experience this grace. That's the way I feel. Yeah. I think it's a really great encapsulation of, um, like indigenous values and like getting to experience that firsthand. Thank you. No, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) We need to be thanking you. Yeah. Like, you spent this time with us you in you've taught us something you've enlightened us you've I didn't know I would be getting this this morning that when I woke up (laughs) so that's the great thing so you know this is your first federal campaign um and you've been in politics at the local level before that and even on the school board um what advice would you give to either a young indigenous woman or another racialized woman uh, looking to forge their own path into this space? When you're coming into politics, uh, you really need to uh, take care of yourself, create space for yourself, create a downtime to unwind and to remember that everything that everybody is saying comes from passion, comes from a place of wanting to make things better for the next for the people beside them. Um, And to also uh, practice self-awareness. I think that's a really important thing. That's been something that has been really important for me for a long time. Uh, You know, I've struggled with mental health issues. Um, I went on an antidepressant uh, for a little while because because I had thoughts of suicide, uh, even after I had my children, you know, my children were growing up and I felt so low. Um, I felt it was, it was a hard place and practicing the self-awareness and being able to identify what you're feeling, uh, finding, um, coping mechanisms, um, really identifying with yourself, what works and what doesn't work. Um, self-care is extremely important and that you know things will knock you down 
people will knock you down. Uh, you might feel deflated. Uh, that that comes with the political territory. Um, but there's always ways. Like there's always people who are going to support you. There's going to people be people who back you up. Um, there will be people who will sit beside you when you need to rest. You know, it's a it's a big undertaking. Um, one of the one of the things that um, one of the hereditary chiefs said, uh, he said the worst they can do is divide us and have us fighting amongst ourselves. So when it feels like there's a division, you can always remember that you'll have somebody in your corner. You're, you're always gonna be with somebody. And um, another one of the hereditary chiefs said to me, never give up, never give up. Amazing, that was great advice. I need to take some of, heed some of that advice. <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to what I have a Facebook page um I have a personal Facebook page that is Adina Young I also have a Facebook page called um Adina Young dash Kunjadas which is my Haida name um beautiful and I have uh I have a website adinayoung.ca that's A-D-E-A-N-A everybody and then Young a-D-E-A-N-A-Y-O-U-N-G. That's there you right. go. And I would, um, um, so I was just looking at, you know, looking at some things and I came up with, a, pulled up an article that was written in 2019 by CBC. And in there, it says that in the 2015 federal election, Indigenous, 11 Indigenous MPs were elected. And in the 2000, 2019 federal election, there were 10 Indigenous MPs elected. This election, two Indigenous MPs publicly announced that they will not be seeking re-election due to the toxicity parliament. Uh -huh. um, but a fun fact, there are at least 77 Indigenous candidates. This election compared to the 62 who ran in 2019. There are 338 ridings all across Canada. Indigenous representation is so vital in Canadian government. Indigenous communities get a land acknowledgement where they live, play and conduct business. The history of the formation of federal government is becoming con common knowledge. On May 29th, 2019, the horrific announcement of 215 children's bones were found at a former Indian residential school. And the count of children's remains at other former Indian residential schools are now over 6,000. Indigenous representation is so vital. Mm -hmm. When I'm speaking as a Green Party candidate and an Indigenous woman, it's not to dis regard other Indigenous representatives who are running in the federal government. Collaboration is something that is needed in government. Indigenous representation on all levels in all parties are extremely vital in working to truth and reconciliation. ND, we have NDP represent, Indigenous representation 
in the House of Commons. You know, we have liberal Indigenous representation, we have conservative Indigenous representation, but we do not have Green Party Indigenous representation. Mm-hmm. We need to have that collaborative ability. Party lines don't, other party lines don't allow for that. I think to have a green Indigenous representative in the biggest land-based riding of all the ridings all across Canada is important. Especially one that includes Wet'suwet'en, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And a, a riding that includes fishing industry, logging mm-hmm. industry, oil and gas all, industry. All the resources. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. And that's, and that's, and like, we'll be deeply affected by climate change, right? Wow. Yes. 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 Oh my gosh. Yes. You know, we talk about, uh, we talk about free prior and informed consent. Indigenous communities, United Nations declaration talk about free prior and informed consent. And, you know, where, where are other, where are the other parties confirmation of free prior and informed consent in this riding that consists of all of those industries that consist of one third population of indigenous communities this the population sorry this riding is one third indigenous population wow wow that also includes all of the industries that affect the land base and the cultural identity of indigenous people i think you just brought it home i think that's what why we're so silent because you just like tied it up perfectly yeah that this riding is super important in because it's at the crossroads of so many issues mm-hmm. and we don't have the representation of our values in this system mm-hmm. and you know, with that, what is reconciliation and what really is climate change without that or climate change mitigation without that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nowhere. Right. And so I'm really, again, what are we doing? <laughs> like, I, I just, it's, it's incredible. And of course, you know, we haven't even touched on missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. And um, I don't know what to ask, but I would like you to touch on it because you <laughs> touched on so many great things. I just could listen to you a lot. Go ahead. <laughs> missing, murdered <laughs> indig- <laughs> missing murdered Indigenous women and girls is, <sighs> that hurts. That hurts me a lot. We are on Haida Gwaii. We're on an island. One of our young ladies has been missing since last March. How do you go missing from an island? Where where did she go? What happened to her? Nobody's talking. Nobody's saying anything. Silence is so much a killer than as as everything else. It's silence is a bigger killer than somebody actually talking. Yeah, we have to break the silence. We need to break the silence. We need to also, we also need to take preventative measures. People are leaving their small communities because they're suffering from addictions or abuse at home. Mm-hmm. They're hitchhiking to get away from the problem. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they're hitchhiking because they want to 
see something different there you know there's so many different stories I don't want to I don't want to seem like I'm talking on behalf of everything everybody because I know each individual has a different story it could be a tragic story on why they went missing it could be sorry every story is tragic on why they went missing but you know it's 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 silent for too long and we need to take preventative measures we're really good at reacting to things we react immediately to things when they happen but what are we doing to take preventative measures to stop them from going missing you know it's such a big issue it's such a big topic can't i can't do imagine you, do you feel that like the decision makers in the federal government have even begun to approach um, this issue that way uh, in terms of preventative measures? Or is um, it all, oh, let's give, or is it all more like a law enforcement thing? Like, wh- how do you feel that that's being handled right now? I think. But um, wait, 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 just before you answer, I also don't want to put you in a spot where you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> of shit talking. That's not what I'm asking you. <laughs> I'm basically asking, okay, let me put it to you this way. Um, what can be done that's not being done or is probably a better question? I think it's, uh, I think there are things, you know, there are actions being made with um, individual communities. I think both the federal and the provincial government are allocating funds to uh, different organizations, different parties, different areas within the province um, to do what needs to be done in each community. And I, I think I'm, I'm talking about like the reserve systems um, and leadership within the province. Well, the province of BC, I know I can speak to that. Um, where I participated in a BC AFN um, Women in Leadership uh, Declaration. And within that declaration, we declare that it's our responsibility to take care of the abused and the abusers. It's our responsibility to take care of the victims and the predators. It's our responsibility to take care of all walks of life. And I think indigenous communities are identifying what it is that they do need. And, you know, without provincial or federal government saying it out loud, there are small steps that are working towards it. They might not directly say this is taking preventative measures, but I think each community are able to identify what preventative measures they're taking. So it's mostly happening at the local level then is basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Adina, this has been wonderful. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. I think we both learned a lot and it was very enlightening. Yeah, it was amazing. Honestly, honestly, I wish you all the luck in the world and all the best. Mm -hmm. And I do hope, I hope you are victorious. I really do. Thank you so much. Yeah, we definitely need representatives like you in Ottawa. (laughs) In this town. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Erica and Erin, for reaching out and to, you know, to give me this opportunity to share uh, 
you know, running a virtual campaign and not traveling in the giant riding that I'm in has proven to be very hard and mm -hmm. uh, not very, not very hard, but challenging enough to, you know, take a deep breath and practice the things that I said earlier, take care of myself. I can only do what I can, you know, certain amount of time in the day and uh, reaching out to me and giving me this opportunity really means a lot. I hope that there are many people out there who are interested in what I have to say, who are interested in um, sharing their stories with me. I hope there are people interested in sharing with me what works for them and what doesn't work for them, what their concerns are, what their priorities are, and really bringing that collaboration of, you know, the co collaborating the diversity that we have and to recognize that Indigenous people don't necessarily want to stop and protest everything. Um, I hope people can recognize that we've always wanted to be included. We've always wanted to be part of the decision-making process. We've always wanted to be acknowledged uh, that we come from a place of respect and reciprocity, that you know we have the ability to talk things through. We have that ability to move forward in a good way uh you know it's a big thing uh when we talk about truth and reconciliation because that applies on so many different levels it's such a big thing to talk about climate action and being able uh to be a federal representative and to work closely with provincial uh, legislation and provincial counterparts to ensure that climate action is being taken on both levels both provincially and federally because everything depends on everything else yes mm -hmm. yeah and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna leave with that because i think that's that's a great way to end everything depends on everything else i will remember this mm-hmm yeah I do like, have, <laughs> I have another really good closing one that says, you know, respect and reciprocity. We don't know what we don't know. You are you and I am me. We are sharing space. And that can be in person. It can be online. It can be wherever. But we're sharing space. I love it. Yeah. Ugh. I feel like. I got a lift I know. Uh, that I didn't know I needed. I know. I will tackle the rest of my day. <laughs> and if our <laughs> listeners didn't, then I don't know. <laughs> there must be something wrong with them. But <laughs> <laughs> like, how can you not be? And I, I, I really do hope you come back again. Yeah. So that we can have a longer conversation. Thank Sounds you again, Aaron and Erica. Thank you so Thank much. You. Big thanks to Adina Young for joining us on this podcast. Erica, I think, I think we really hit the jackpot with the women we've had on so far. We really have. They've really like run, run the whole spectrum. You know, we've got Jenny Kwan, seasoned campaigner, seasoned member of parliament. We have still we with have the fight. Adina today, we had Jenna Chisholm, who is just like very young and like energetic and just had like a very positive outlook but then I, th I think it's interesting that we got that we spoke to two indigenous women one who grew off grew up off reserve 
and, and just Adina now who gave us a little insight into the reserve structure and how band council works and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, A, you know, when, you know, when you travel so much, you know, that you've seen nothing almost. I feel like the more I delve into, to indigenous issues is the more I know, I don't know. Absolutely. Cause you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And it was just, it's just a really great juxtaposition to show the intricacies and um, variants in the indigenous experience. And we, we as settlers generally try to, I mean, as we do with every racialized group, try to make them a monolith. Yeah. And I feel as though, um, progressives have a tendency to do that, especially. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we then become the, um, the tool for them to bludgeon their opponents instead of actually addressing our issues. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like there's a lot of using going on. That's my point. Yeah. 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 All right. We'll be back next week. Tune in as usual for our same old chaotic bullshit energy. (laughs) (laughs) Where's the lie? It's not a lie. (laughs) There's no lie. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye.